From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Mark Morano is unleashed, and he's taking on the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, and the United Nations on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT. Welcome to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT Radio. Well, we have breaking news, breaking news all the way around. The United Nations Climate Summit has officially concluded in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. And of course, I was there for over a week, the first week plus of the conference. And it just ended officially in the late hours last night. And I am sad to report that they have reached an agreement. And when I say they've reached an agreement, I mean the Western nations are committing energy suicide, including the United States, including Australia, including Canada, including New Zealand, including England and Belgium and Germany and Italy, down the line. What did they agree to? Well, they fell slightly short of their goal of agreeing to the phase out of all fossil fuels and instead agreed to the beginning of the end of all fossil fuels. I don't know what to say. This is so ridiculous, nonsensical, and it's not something that we can just sit back and say, oh, that's funny, the UN, they're wacky, it doesn't affect my life. They're committing, when I say they, these countries who are part of this at these summits committed us to these, these deals. I mean, so your court system will now be pushing the net zero climate goals. Your Al Gore is partnering with Google. There's going to be surveillance of farms, of production facilities, of agriculture, of uh, any kind of industry now to make sure that they're going to be that you're reporting accurately. You're going to be penalized. These are going to be bean counter bureaucrats. They've tightened up these climate goals. This is nothing short of Soviet style central planning coming in reality. So the first thing I want to do is show you my reporting, some of my reporting. This is a Fox and Friends news clip, clip one, from uh, my from the rooftop of my hotel in Dubai with Rachel Campos Duffy on Fox and Friends. This is uh, last week when I was in Dubai. Let's go ahead and roll clip one to give you an idea of what is at stake and what happened at this UN Climate Summit. Climate Depot publisher Mark Morano joins us live from Dubai with more. So, Mark, I'm so glad you're down there. I'm always wondering what these, you know, control freaks and climate cultists and megalomaniac billionaires are plotting over there. And you're over there. What is happening? What's the end goal here? Well, great question. And this is a, this here conference in Dubai is double, more than double last year's uh, in Egypt. The end goal is very simple, to move more and more power to fewer and fewer people at the UN echelon, at the global corporations, to billionaires like Bill Gates, to even people like King Charles and all the corporations that are participating in this form of uh, new form of fascism, where it's the government and international organization cooperation to impose an agenda upon the world that we didn't vote for. And the most insidious thing, Rachel, for Kamala Harris to give a speech saying $3 billion dollars to the UN Climate Fund, the UN Climate Fund, and, and, and I was at the UN Climate Summit in Johannesburg, South Africa, or Durban, South Africa, was explained to me by a South African development activist, the UN will take this money from Americans and give it to the poor nation's leaders who are best able to keep their citizens locked in poverty. Camilla Harris is actually saying we're going to give it to prevent essentially development and fossil fuel energy in the poorest regions of the world. They're going to give the money to the leaders. The leaders are going to ensure their re-election, build monuments to themselves, and keep the poor people from actually developing. This is immoral. And this whole conference is about gaining more and more control so that we don't have a say in our democracy anymore on how we live our lives. Everything, as you mentioned, from freedom of movement to food to energy. Yeah, it's just it's actually when you put it in those terms and you're absolutely right What these countries need uh, these poor countries need are more energy so they can develop so they can have a better life. And what they're doing is paying off the leaders to lock them down and prevent development because they hate humans yes. and they hate modern life and they want to lock us all down. Meanwhile, how many coal as, as John Kerry says, he wants to shut down every coal yeah. plant in America. How many coal plants has China opened or how many do they open every month? 
And of course, the answer to that is two uh, two a week, and they are the world's largest coal producer, more than 50% of the coal, and just and up, up, up. India, of course, is competing with them to join. The reason I showed that clip, because that's one basis. There's so many tentacles to this evil octopus that is the United Nations uh, you know, net zero agenda. I needed to set that stage that this is a wealth redistribution scheme, but it's not going to give even social welfare programs to poor Africans or poor South Americans or poor Asians. It's going to prevent them making the same mistakes that the West did. What were those mistakes? Low infant mortality, long life, modern dentistry, modern uh, sewage treatment, uh, modern transportation, travel, modern uh, food supply. Now, I know a lot of you would say, oh, well, food supply sucks. It's full of preservatives. It's all prepared food. It's not this. True. But in terms of nutrition and options, unbelievable what fossil fuels have allowed us in modern agriculture have allowed us. And you can still pick and choose whether you want to eat that bag of chips or the preservative filled and all that. But that's an important leg of this uh, United Nations Climate Treaty. And now I'm gonna show you clip two. This uh, was a clip of me on Laura Ingram. And now this is going directly after our energy. And you're gonna hear Al Gore and John Kerry and you're in the analysis of that. So here I am on Laura Ingram while I was in Dubai, live when I was in Dubai. So clip two. I find myself getting more and more militant because I do not understand how adults who are in position of responsibility can be avoiding responsibility for taking away those things that are killing people on a daily basis. An 80-year-old with zero investment in our future yes. who, you know, goes from private home, you know, mansion to mansion, private jetting, you know, kite surfing all around the world. I mean, this is just ridiculous. He flew in. The latest reports are you could deal him out. He flew in on a private jet. John Kerry's office has a $17 million annual budget as a U.S. climate envoy, which is not even approved by the United States Senate. He shows up at this. He just issues a decree as though he's some kind of uh, climate potentate that says we're going to do this. We're going to do that. He's an unelected bureaucrat. And here's the thing. We are looking at now a 99% drop in deaths over the last 100 years. Hillary Clinton's here at the same summit claiming that climate-related deaths, heat waves are killing people. Cold kills between 5, 10, 20% more, according to all the studies. Both Kerry and, and Hillary Clinton have no clue what they're talking about. They're never fact-checked. But the most dangerous thing here is they're increasing the UN Climate Fund which is going to be money spent to give to the poor oh. world. The United States has doubled down yeah. to make sure that their leaders keep them locked in poverty. They're going to prevent Africa from getting cheap, reliable energy like we had, and then they're going to crush our energy here. This is the That's Great China. Reset Summit. We didn't vote on shutting down coal. We didn't vote on cutting down gas like this. Kerry's just decreeing it. Yeah, the global dictatorship. But, you know, they were complaining earlier that Trump, Donald Trump was going to just never leave office if he wins again, and he's going to keep yes. people in power that don't get confirmed by Senate confirmation and illegal appointments. That's what they're warning about Trump. Meanwhile, John Kerry's running around the world. The last time I checked, he didn't have a Senate confirmation, but he's treated as a cabinet official. How is that okay? Yeah, they, they, Ridiculous. They try to right, call Mark, it a, a cabinet. Mark, Mark, great to see you. Have fun out there. Yeah, and we did have some fun. And I'll, I'll show you the video I showed you yesterday. I want to show you that again, our 55-second climate protest, but in a moment. Okay, so the two clips I showed you, African development and then going after energy. Well, uh, and I have other videos I'm going to be releasing throughout the week here as this UN summit wraps up, or has wrapped up. There's the clothing angle. They were talking about defending the three items of clothing per person per year by 2030. Uh, but what really happened here at the very end was that even Saudi Arabia, even the United Arab Emirates, even the OPEC member nations ended up agreeing to this. And the question is why? Saudi Arabia was our greatest hope at this summit because they were saying this is absurd. And even the United Arab Emirates, their Sultan al-Jabbar, uh, was ridiculing the science behind the UN's claims that we had to limit the Earth's temperature to 1.5 Celsius. It's nonsense. This is like medieval witchcraft blaming witches for changing the weather and claiming you have some secret potion or burning at the stake, which will end their spell and reverse course. That's what they believe, that we can save the earth through some climate treaty. 
or through some climate pact that they're going to agree on. And by the way, they've already announced next year is Azerbaijani and Eastern Europe. I believe. And then the following year is going to be in Brazil. That's where the United Nations Climate Summit is going to meet. And then I even see the few years after that, they're going to pick a city in India. I think they're going to Australia. It's truly a global tour to, uh, you know, and that's why these are, this was the most attended United Nations Climate Summit, 100,000 plus uh, who attended this. And it was double last year's, never before had they anything like this. And it's also a way to bribe Poland, which would be one of the most skeptical countries in the world, Eastern Europe, heavily relying on coal, has no interest in the UN agenda. So what do you do? You hold three summits of these, and I don't think there's any parallel anywhere in the world. And they they bring in all that money and economy and restaurants and hotels, giant carbon footprint. But that's one of the ways they try to bribe these countries with their business. I mean, this is a traveling roadshow, 100,000 plus registered delegates. That doesn't include the support staff. And when you think about it, things like King Charles, the UK foreign secretary and the prime minister, Richie Sunak, all flew in separately on three private jets. So now multiply that by the hundreds of nations participating and you get an idea of how big and what a deal, plus support staff, plus the media, plus academics, plus student activists, plus um, all the NGO, environmental groups, observers. I mean, it is, you know, even a registered, the 100,000 registered participants doesn't even begin. It's probably three times or four times that scale in terms of the, the amount of people involved in bringing in the revenue. Okay. So they did say we had some fun there, and uh, we're going to talk about this tomorrow when uh, Dr. Will Happer, Princeton physicist, foremost expert on the greenhouse effect, 200 peer-reviewed studies, we're going to do a recap of this whole summit from a scientific and policy perspective. So stay tuned for that tomorrow. But I wanted to mention, Laura Ingram mentioned that we had some fun there. Well, I wanted to go ahead and show this one more time. I showed it yesterday briefly, but... This was our protest at this UN climate summit. Now, if you remember, we had to just say no to oil. We had the traffic protesters, the Extinction Rebellion. They go out and they stop the cars and they stop football games during the play. They'll spray spray paint paintings. They'll pour paint and spray paint and damage the Brandenburg Gate, et cetera. Well, this was our fun. This is clip three. Let's go and enjoy. This is what climate skeptics take on and uh, take on and siege the UN climate summit. C-Fact, in the tradition of just say no to oil, decided to just say no to net zero by conducting a bus blockade at the UN Climate Summit in Dubai. So we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, and of course, these are Hollywood and billionaire funded uh, activities, but that's on the lighter side. We wanted to do that to just show the absurdity of, of these protests that even the climate activists don't even support. But but the people in the ivory towers, the, the billionaires and the millionaires in Hollywood, they think it's a good idea to send these activists out to do it. So we thought we'd have some fun there. Um, Okay, uh, we're going to have Naomi Wolf scheduled to join us today, and we're going to talk all about the COVID tyranny, uh, public health bureaucracy, her new books. Uh, and she has a new book out. Uh, I believe her latest book is called Facing the Beast, Courage and Faith and Resistance in a New Dark Age. And she's also had books on the end of America and how to prevent essentially authoritarianism from taking over the world. And I'm going to ask her a little bit about climate, because I know recently I saw on Twitter where she liked the phrase climate communism. I think she comes from the school of RFK Jr., who believes he won't talk about climate like he used to, he thinks it's a problem, but essentially the entire agenda has been hijacked for totalitarian control by the United Nations, by the World Economic Forum, and now the World Health Organization. I'm gonna ask her about the, the health journals pushing to have uh, climate change considered a public health threat uh, when she joins us in a few moments. But just I'm gonna get a quick summary again. My headline at climatedepot.com Hug your children today. The UN has struck a deal to end fossil fuels and save the planet. 
And it's incredible because the activists, and if you go to Climate Depot's homepage, I have a picture of a mother holding her maybe three-year-old three child saying, we're running out of time, phase out fossil fuels now. And I say, eliminate fossil fuels for your kid's future. That's what they're actually thinking, that fossil fuels have been damaging, are, are dangerous, and that we need to eliminate them. Just to be clear, fossil fuels have been one of the greatest liberators of humankind and mankind in the history of planet Earth. Longer life, lower infant mortality, massive development. The Industrial Revolution has been one of the greatest boons to humanity, uh, You know where we flourish, where we actually uh, do better than we could ever have imagined in the entire history of our Earth. And now we want to turn the clock back for utopia. Now, they will argue that, no, we're not. We're for all the same kind of development, but we're going to manage it better because they'll be in charge and they're going to have regulations in every aspect of our life. But they actually believe that we could just come in and they can literally take over every form of energy and that solar and wind are going to replace it and that they're going to manage it because they have the best degrees and they're the smartest people in the room and there are betters and they have uh, the government experts and they're going to, we don't have to be burdened. This is what they sold uh, um, Woodrow Wilson on in the 19 teens when they were pushing the administrative state. This was going to liberate the, the unwashed masses, if you will. We don't have to worry about making these big decisions. We're gonna have it all decided and done for us by government bureaucrats and experts, the expertocracy. And so that's really what this is. But I will have a full recap tomorrow when we have Will Happer on and we're gonna have some fun and I'll go through point by point all of this. So in the meantime, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT Radio. And we'll be joined by the, by the uh, eminent Naomi Wolf, uh, coming up next after these messages. Jeremy now on TNT Radio. Being South African, I'm, I know the situation and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers, mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I? Yes. Um, since the dawn of democracy in South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second day. Um, so it averages around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year. And we had a farm murder on average every fifth day. Um, but over the last few months, both of those numbers have picked up. Murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk TNT Radio. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano. Okay, well, we are joined now by Naomi Wolf, uh, the former Clinton Gore advisor and author of her most recent book is Facing the Beast, Courage, Faith, and Resistance in a Dark Age. Welcome to the program, Naomi. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. And uh, of course, I, we met uh, back, it was a, about a year and a half ago at the Freedom Fest in South Dakota. Uh, and at that time, you know, that was still coming out of, I guess, all the COVID mandates and uh, and you gave a, a great speech at that event. And I would just like to say, where can you give us a little bit of your history and your political evolution? Because I'd say most people maybe uh, pre-COVID and you know, a few years before would associate you with you know Clinton Gore advisor, the Democratic Party as a feminist. 
they would never think of you um, sort of battling uh, the the deep state, if you will, or even battling Democratic presidents uh, or the Democratic preferred agenda, which was the ma masks and face and, and vaccine mandates. Tell us a little bit about your history, your political evolution. Sure. Well, it's so ironic. Um, I don't see it as an evolution. I feel like I've stayed yeah. in exactly the same place. The <laughs> world okay. has changed around me. Um, but yeah, I was, you know, I grew up and demographically and kind of ideologically, it was part of the progressive left my whole life and career. Um, well known as a, a sec, I guess, a third wave feminist. And um, I did advise, I was a White House uh, spouse when my former husband was a speechwriter for the Clintons. And then I myself advised um, Bill Clinton's uh, re-election campaign. And then I moved on to advise Vice President Gore's presidential campaign. So deep, deep dem. <laughs> and um, yeah. and I also, you know, saw myself as a, a, a liberal. I mean, I still see myself as a liberal, but I I thought that liberals were for free speech and human rights and equal opportunity and women's rights and my body, my choice and all these things. Um, so I guess I was uh, shocked um, from 2020 on when my people, my former tribe, you know, all these educated, critically thinking, trained people, journalists, you know, managing, managing directors of boards of media companies, um, analysts, economists, they jumped wholeheartedly all at once into an irrational cult-like way of thinking. And yeah. also a way of thinking that um, kind of undermined all of our ideals. Uh, they embraced a two-tier society introduced in 2021, making vaccinated people, mRNA vaccinated people more valuable than us lowly unvaccinated people. Um, they embraced magical thinking. They, uh, you know, turned on people who didn't swallow edicts from big pharma and from government spokespeople as if they didn't know that those entities lie to people all the time and that it's the role of journalism to ask hard questions of those entities. Um, and they, they abandoned women and children. And, uh, this came to a head, I guess, and it's the centerpiece of my book, Facing the Beast, when I was deplatformed in June of 2021 for accurately noting on yeah. Twitter and Facebook that women were um, having menstrual problems upon receiving these mRNA injections. Totally accurate. Um, and I was deplatformed and also globally smeared all at once. Like my my bio changed all at once all around the world, um, which I didn't understand at the time, but now I know AI can do that. Uh, from, you know, Rhodes Scholar, Oxford, Yale, to crazy conspiracy <laughs> theorists um, <laughs> yes. with macro ideas. Yeah, and, and then since then, um, I, again, don't think I've changed, but I have been startled to learn from talking to many conservatives and independents and libertarians and people of faith who are the only people who talk to me anymore because mm -hmm. I'm a non-person on the left, that much of what I believed on the left is not true. And I mean, just like literally the news stories, I believed many of them are not true. And also that many stereotypes I had of conservatives and independents and people of faith are are wrong and that um, we have a great deal in common. <laughs> and so that's part of the journey I describe in the book. Wow. All right. Well, let's go back to March. Well, let's even go back to January 2020. What were your first thoughts? Uh, were you following even COVID? I remember when the World Health, I think it was the end of January, they said they sent a delegation to China and they said, if you want to stop the virus, copy China. That was their actual yeah. actual headlines. And what did you think when Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burks came out with the, you know, two weeks to flatten, 10 days to flatten the curve uh, and Donald Trump? Uh, did the executive order, were you at that point engaged on the issue or were you actually, oh, wow, this must be serious? At what point did you realize something was really wrong with this uh, whole COVID thing? Well, having been a political consultant, I'm, I'm not inclined ever to believe that anything the government tells us is serious is serious. And, and because the things that are really serious that the government is doing, they don't tell us. Right. And and, you know, whole strategies, whole election campaigns 
and you know legislative agendas get um, moved ahead on the basis of hyping dangers that don't really exist or that are you know much overblown. So no, you know from from all of my work, I thought something was wrong that I recognized talking points, right? Because I've been part of yeah. producing. So I recognized that everyone was on a script and the script was designed to drive a certain outcome. I didn't yet know what it was. Um, you know, obviously I was cautious because we were being told something biologically new was in the world and I've been in conflict areas and that can happen. There's biological warfare. Um, you know, there are diseases that are new. Uh, you know, AIDS was new. Um, so I was, you know, cautious, but but skeptical. And also because of my work on my book, 2007 book, The End of America, which looked at closing democracies, I yes. was very alerted when um, it, by June of 2020, uh, my state, New York State, uh, suspended our constitutional rights because I recognized that is the last stage of the 10 steps to fascism. So I, I did know early on that something was very wrong with the messaging. And I guess the last thing I would say about the disease narrative itself is um, I was a graduate student in English literature at Oxford, meaning I've read 400 years of memoirs and biographies yeah. and journals in English. I will tell you, there are diseases all the damn time. <laughs> you know, there are yeah. horrible, horrible diseases, you know, typhus, uh, cholera, you know, yellow fever um polio spanish flu on and on and on and never ever has like if distancing people and locking them in multi-generational households had done anything to stop the spread of any infectious disease in the past we would have known about it so that you know i knew that that was the opposite of the advice of people ranging from Florence Nightingale to reformers of the progressive era who would say when there was infectious disease around, get the kids out in the sun, give them cod yeah. liver oil, give them vitamin D, um, boost their nutrition, uh, open the windows, you know, yes. don't crowd people together indoors. So I knew there was something wrong with that just from my reading of um, literature and history. I remember even Spain, I think there was like maybe a month or more where the kids weren't even allowed outside except for prescribed times out in the sunlight in order to keep them safe. And of course, we know playgrounds were closed and gyms were closed. So I, I, I remember, I always say it's it's one of the single greatest blunders of any president was Donald Trump being duped by Anthony Fauci, Deborah Perks, and signing that COVID emergency decree, which literally gave every governor, mayor, overnight dictatorial powers. You no longer needed to have a vote on the most consequential decisions, obviously. Tell us a little bit about, you talked about the end of America. How dangerous are these emergency decrees, whether it's the 9-11 emergency decree, whether it's the... Um, COVID emergency degree, and whether it's even the, the talked about climate emergency degree, which the Center for Biological Diversity said would give Joe Biden 130 new executive powers if the U.S. declares a climate emergency. NBC News did a segment saying it would give Biden, quote, COVID-like powers. Um, are emergency degrees the sort of the ticket to tyranny for these uh, for this ruling class, for lack of a better word? Mark, that's really well said. The one sentence you just spoke, it you know, it should be like on T-shirts everywhere. <laughs> Emergency decrees are the way to become a dictator. And if you look back at how fragile democracies in different times in history were subverted, it was always through emergency decrees. Um, you know, and that's why I look at emergency messaging with skepticism because you know, the Reichstag fire was an emergency and that issued in the enabling acts, which allowed Hitler to get dictatorial powers he hadn't had previously. Um, every dictator thrives on declaring an emergency. Bush, too, you know, who started all of this or ramped it up, used the global war on terror as the emergency and uh, and, and passed um that gigantic piece of legislation, the Patriot Act, which gave, yes. you know, stripped away our constitutional liberties. So there's always an emergency. And that's why I'm always telling people to calm down. Um, because our republic has been set up very brilliantly by our founders, founders to withstand pretty much any emergency. <laughs> um, and yes, dictatorial powers are 
like, how can I put it? An emergency decree is a tyranny, right? If you've got a leader who has emergency powers, you are no longer living in a democracy. People really have to understand that. And some examples of how quickly things can go bad when when you're living under emergency law, we're still under emergency law. People may not know, I think they're like, Last I checked, 33 states still under emergency law in the United States. And they just get extended and extended. And a lot of state legislators realized to their horror that their um, state constitutions had no provision for ending the emergency law by the assembly, right? It was just dependent on the governor and the governor would just take it over and take it over. Hochul and, and, you know, Governor Hochul here in New York State and before her, Governor Cuomo, used nonsensical justifications like um racial disparities as the emergency <laughs> to extend and even on a national level uh president biden used i think activity in iran you know literally in 2023 as the emergency like they just run out of emergencies they invent a new emergency and no one's looking closely enough to question it but how badly can things go when you're under emergency law i mean literally we've considered leaving the state um for the following reason in australia they really no longer have a republic because people can be sent off to quarantine camps at any time and one uh, parliamentarian who's been very outspoken on liberty issues um antic he was sent to a quarantine camp for two weeks now he's not saying that was intimidation or punishment he's in australia but the fact that the state has those powers led me not to accept an invitation to go to Australia because they can hold you indefinitely in a quarantine camp. Yeah. And it's really like Guantanamo. There's really no rule of law. Here in the in, in New York State and in Washington State, they're really, Hochul keeps trying to build quarantine camps. And one lone lawyer named Bobby Ann Cox has held her off, you know, to this point. Just one woman, I know her tiny woman holding off this giant evil, but um, Governor uh, uh, Hochul keeps appealing and she won the last appeal. So now she can, until something else happens, she can build quarantine camps. And I've read the regulations um, both for New York State and for Washington State where they tried to do the same thing. And they literally say, if if public health authorities can say you've been exposed to a bloodborne pathogen, they can take you, they can take your kids, and you have no recourse. You can petition for judicial review, wow. but really there's no recourse. You have to behave in a certain way, and they don't have to let you out. So it's it's literally terrifying. And once that starts to happen to just a few leaders, um, it, it, it just quiets dissent from everyone else. And that's exactly how Germany closed down in 1933 in six months, even before, um, you know, any kind of mass action on the part of the Nazis. Well, the flip side of it is they try to sell it as public safety, that they know more. In other words, they're relying, Anthony Fauci is the government expert with decades of experience. You have epidemiologists approved by the government from the you know, the National Institute of Health or the CDC. These are the experts. I remember seeing school board meetings where parents were upset, kindergartners were forced masks for eight hours a day. And the uh, you know the the school board members will be telling the parents, "Are you an expert? Do you have a degree in epidemiology? Well, who are you to question our expert advice? We know what we're doing. We're essentially we're your betters." How do people fight back against this idea that the experts know more than you? They have the credentials. They're doing it for your own good because that's the way it's sold. And of course, the fear factor, they scare you. And then they tell you the only solution is to listen to experts. How do you go about preventing that? And how do you convince, I want to say the average person, not a pundit, not an academic, but the average person who's got a working class job or not involved in politics and they have kids in school and they confront this. How do they fight back on this? A really good question. I mean, first, I want to be a bit of a cheerleader for the ordinary person because, yeah. A, no one no one is just ordinary, right? We all have extraordinary powers. And also, B, if we're going to win this fight, it's going to be at the level of the ordinary person and the moms and dads and the school boards and the grocery stores and the you know neighbors and potlucks rather than at a meta-federal level or even state level. Um, I guess the second thing I would say is, as a media strategist, don't ever agree 
to a debate uh, premise in which you're dragged over to their side of the playing field. In other words, this is a talking point, right? It's a script. Are you an expert? And I literally, literally heard people parrot it without knowing they were doing that all the way down to like members of my own family. Yes. Well, imagine um, civic debate as a football field and there's their side and there's, you know, not their side. When they drag you into this talking point, are you an expert? Just reject the talking point. You know, they don't get to decide what the terms of the debate are. They don't, especially if you know the law. Um, and so don't be on the defensive. And this is basic media strategy, right? Don't like I could lose any number of debates by saying, no, I'm not a medical doctor, but I took eighth grade biology. Like that's just a dumb you know, that's, a, yeah. I'm losing, lost already, right? Yes. I mean, I'm not a medical doctor, but, you know, if you go back to your own talking points, which are, you don't have the right to do that to my child, according to this, 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 and this, um, then they can say all the talking points they want. And if you know the law, and you know, also how to engage in um, uh, pressure tactics, which is how, um leaders are moved in democracies, which we still are, you know, vestigially, uh, it doesn't matter what they say, right? So an example is, I, I'm going to use my stepson as an example, bless his heart. Um, kids were talking about what if they mask us again at his public school recently. And he said, like, no naughty language way, I'm not going to let them do that. And I'm not going to go along with any imbecile teachers who try to get me to do that. Well, he was taken to the principal's office. And, and the principal said, you, you know, nicely, you know, we have to follow public, you know, if there's a public health emergency, we have to follow guidelines. And my 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 stepson said, you don't know my dad and my stepmom, stepmom. <laughs> and, and he's like, uh, who are they? And she said, well, my stepmom, you know, brought Pfizer down. <laughs> like, this is his yeah. view of the world. Where I'm going with that is, Exactly. You know, there are groups like Moms for Liberty who will teach you if they try to mask your kids, all the parents have to show up at that school and, you know, take either take a day off work or moms or dads who are not working, who are, you know, homemakers, powerful force. You just disrupt business as usual at that school. And we also have on Daily Clout templates for filing civil and criminal charges against school officials who do that to your child. It doesn't matter what the CDC Fantastic. says. Also, like it's very important for you to know is if it's guidance, it's not a law. If it's yes. a mandate, it's not a law. What does the law actually say? If there's no law saying I have the right to mask your child, they don't have the right to mask your child. And you just keep sending your child in unmasked, you know, and whatever, and and try to escort your child and support your child and, you know, lobby the other parents and um, threaten the principal nonviolently with having moms for liberty show up in, you know, form of phalanx around the school and, um, you know, talk to the local media uh, and and file charges of child abuse against those school officials and be so much trouble that they they give up over time. And if you think, well, I don't, you know, my kid will be ostracized or whatever. I mean, this is a really good time for people to teach their children about civil disobedience um, and leadership and not going along with the crowd because those kids are going to be, the kids whose parents fought for them and showed them how to fight are going to be much better off psychologically. The kids who have been yes. broken by seeing their parents go along with torturing them and suffocating them. Yes. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break. I know you have to go soon, but we'll be right back and we can wrap this up. But thank you so much. We're talking with Naomi Wolf right now. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. We'll be right back. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Congratulations to new Argentine President Javier Malay, who was sworn in over the weekend. Malay's election last month rocked the South American nation and the world and returned Argentina's government to the people after decades of socialists robbing them blind. How blind? The hyperinflation in Argentina has been outrageous, impoverishing up to 40% of the population. Inflation for 2023 stands at 183%. As bad as Bidenomics is, at least it's not that bad. And President Malay set an example for once and future President Donald Trump 
by signing an executive order as his first official act in office that reduced the number of ministries from 21 to 9. 12 ministries such as the Ministry of Women, Genders and Diversity are no more. Not only will that help the bottom line in Argentina, it will expand liberty and bring a better quality of life to the Argentine people. Here's hoping that that happens in the United States in 2025. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Even the thought of dementia can feel scary. It's why we put off getting help, even though we've noticed changes in our thinking or memory. But an early diagnosis can change everything, giving you medical help and a support system around you to help you live better. Start with Dementia Australia's online checklist. Because the sooner you know, the more you can do. From climate change to energy and environmental matters, you're listening to Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano. We're concluding our conversation with Naomi Wolf. Uh, a question now, um, in terms of uh, COVID, we have now 200 medical journals urging the World Health Organization to list climate, climate change as a public health emergency. The Harvard School of Medicine, I think it's the Chan, the Chin Institute or Chan Institute, have literally said unchecked climate change leads to more COVID-like viruses. John Kerry has pushed the same concept. Are they trying to merge climate into a public health threat so that they can literally follow the same template? What's your view on that? Totally. And I'm very informed by my husband, Brian O'Shea, who's an investigator and a former Intel guy his findings on the framework of One Health worldwide. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to turn everything into public health, agriculture, animals, um, land, um, land usage, environment, uh, you know, how cities operate into a public health issue so that they can have this kind of global governance. It's super scary. And again, you know, we we just need to refuse that, um, those terms of the debate, Public health is like everyone's health is their own individual responsibility. Um, you know, yes, we have governments to clean up, you know, nuclear radiation or or, or other, you know, catastrophic attacks. But um, we we cannot allow governments to define our human environment in such a way that it gives over all power to them if they just use the word health in their tyranny our human environment in such a way that it gives over all power to them if they just use the word health in their tyranny. Well, I know uh, RFK Jr. has said he, he he's concerned about climate change, but he says he doesn't he won't talk about it during his campaign. He believes it's been hijacked by the World Economic Forum and the United Nations for totalitarian control of society. Um, what can you tell people when, you know, in terms of just on any issue now, it seems like they've weaponized it to turn it into some way that fewer and fewer people can make more and more decisions for our lives. How do we get out of that? And how do we you know, fight that narrative? And what can even what can our elected leaders and Congress or presidential candidates even do about this? Oh, God, you're asking the ultimate question. I mean, <laughs> the first thing is seeing that, right? What you just described is exactly what's happening. And it's it's happening everywhere. And so you know, if we learn to recognize it in one place, we can recognize it everywhere. And it's it's true. And, you know, I believe that China, as well as the World Economic Forum and all the bad actors, WHO, World Tech Bros, Bill and Melinda Gates, they're all kind of aligned to um, corrupt, you know, all of our institutions, basically. It's, it's not an overstatement. Um, so first, be critical thinking, alternative media, support alternative media, shows like yours, shows like mine you know, people need to recognize they're not going to get the truth from legacy media because they're bought and sold at this point. Second, you know, as I mentioned, be willing to be ostracized if you pursue and yeah. express the truth. Um, but third, really, you know, strengthening communities at the local level is, um, you know, makes us unstoppable. So literally 
potlucks with neighbors, going to your town hall, getting off of your computer and meeting people in person, um, joining, you know, going to your church or temple to worship in person, uh, joining your PTA in person, uh, running for school board in person, all of these things at the local, strengthening our communities at the local level and also looking around and seeing like who has access to fresh water, who has access to fresh food, who knows how to, you know, handle a weapon, you know, what about safely, nonviolently? Um, what about our Second Amendment rights? You know, where's our energy source going to come from if the grid goes down? If you organize on a local level with your neighbors to solve those problems, there's they cannot break you, um, finally. And um, and then again, you know, if you if you know the law, and we have a tool called Bill Cam on Daily Cloud, where you can look up any state or federal bill and change it, um, you'll be able to, uh, you know, resist when when the worst happens. But being passive and scared and accepting what you're told that that way, perdition lies. All right, and the last question you can answer briefly is just. How bad is this WHO pandemic treaty? Is it about to happen? And is there any way to stop it? You know, people don't it's even know about worst. it. <laughs> it's the worst. It is the end. Like each of these things is the end, right? Like central bank digital currency linked to your social credit score and your digital ID is also the end. Um, but again, if people see how these things are linked together, there are 8 billion of us and just a few thousand of them as people, you know, keep reminding us. Um, this the treaty is catastrophic, right? It it they're going to try again in May of next year, and it really does drain all sovereignty from every nation and allow anything to become a health emergency that then you know militias from global mercenary forces show up at your door and you have no recourse. That's really true. I mean, having said that, I know people, individuals like Reggie Littlejohn and Frank Gaffney, who have launched an anti-globalist agenda. Um, force that has gone to Congress, bombarded members of Congress with emails about the, the uh, treaty. They, many members of Congress didn't know much about it and have succeeded in uh, stopping it for now and I believe defunding it for now. Um, so there's so much again that you know ordinary people can do if they're following alternative media and, and figure out who these people are fighting these battles, including they themselves. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, today on Unleashed, uh, Naomi. And uh, keep up the fight. I mean, I have a whole chapter devoted to you and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Jimmy Dore and uh, uh, and many other you know, former, I guess you'd say, Democrat or progressives who are now joining together with conservatives. And I think that's what we need to do. There's no left and right anymore. There's freedom versus tyranny. Thank you for your work. Exactly. Um, thank you. And my book is called Facing the Beast and you can get it on Amazon. So please do. It's very important. I will. I will mention it. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thanks, right. Naomi. Bye -bye. Okay. Thank you. And yes, her book is called Facing the Beast, Courage, Faith, and Resistance in a New Dark Age, fresh out on Amazon by Naomi Wolf. She's someone who's been at this a long time. She's warned about the end of America, and she understands the civil liberties issues at stake here. Uh, and what she was saying about the WHO pandemic treaty, as I like to simplify it as Bill Gates-funded scientists at the WHO can declare a pandemic, and we can have global instant lockdowns without any uh, outliers next time, like Florida or Sweden, they're looking for total control and no dissent, and that's what they're that's what they're up to on on that. Uh, Naomi Wolf has just been a champion in my book, The Great Reset: Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. I feature her testifying in front of legislators, talking about the central bank digital currency, talking about the social credit system, talking about the vaccine mandates. And we didn't really get into that today because I figured I'd, I'd give her a break and talk about a few other different things today because she's always, uh, that's her biggest champion issue is against these vaccine mandates and the vaccine. There are so many issues uh, on that front. Uh, I, and so I, I, I would just simplify again, this whole issue as throughout history, human history. There's always been reasons why the ruling class governing elite have tried to invent why the rest of us can't be free. War, terrorism, climate, terror, uh, viral issues, uh, even sovereignty, whatever the issue is, they always have a reason where they can declare a decree and bypass normal democracy because we're in an emergency state. And Naomi did a great job there laying out how dangerous these emergency decrees are. And that's also in my book. But again, her book is Facing the Beast, Courage, Faith, and Resistance in a Dark Age by Naomi Wolf 
Highly recommend it. And also go on and look up her show and look up her speeches. She really um, understands this issue. And as she said, she's from a, almost a media narrative government, husband of speechwriter. You can see where she is a one of the greatest allies we can have fighting this great reset, this narrative, this whole idea of medical tyranny, weaponizing every aspect of our society. Um, and it's amazing how even now I will listen to on a regular basis, uh, Russell, uh, uh, what's his name? Russell Crowe, uh, not Russell Crowe, uh, Russell, anyway, Jimmy Dore, uh, Naomi RFK Jr., uh, even Bill Maher has come around. Russell Brand is who I'm trying to think of. Uh, he's got a great show out of England and he was just really fantastic. And you know he's effective because they went after him with all of these charges going back two decades. Russell Brand of you know of, uh, of the Me Too movement type stuff of wouldn't even issue names. They had no dates. Uh, they did their best to smear him, but he's still standing. Although I did think they monetized him on YouTube. But to me, it's amazing anyone can survive on YouTube. Uh, who doesn't go along with the government narrative. And that is one of the one of the key things that we have to do here. Well, when we have tomorrow's show, I think I intend to take a deep dive. I'm gonna have some more clips. I just did another Fox News show last night. I just did another Fox. I did Varney today. Uh, I'm scheduled, I believe, for Laura Ingram's show tonight. That'll be three in less than 24 hours, uh, all about this UN Climate Summit. And I can't tell you the importance of this because they are combining public health with climate and they're doing it as a way to collapse energy, transportation, and uh, food supply. And they're going to ration it across all levels. And under rationing systems, guess what? You get to declare emergencies. And when you declare emergencies, Guess who? The people get to be in charge. They get to come up with their plans and bureaucrats. And it just, it goes on and on and on. Uh, this is the world in which we live. And as Naomi Wolf said on this program, Unleashed, you have to literally have like a toolbox and you have to go after know the law and you don't debate them on their narrative. You don't have that argument over, are you an expert in, in climate or are you an expert? You tell them that no, whatever you're proposing is illegal. You have no authority to do it. And you also need massive emergency power reform. And that's one of the things we really need. And that's one of the things uh, that we need to do. And some of the states have actually passed that. The, probably the best state to look at is Florida. They seem to really have great legislation and great rules now to prevent anything like this from ever happening again, COVID or medical authoritarianism. Anyway, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT Radio. Thank you for watching and listening and we'll see you next time.